take a sweet. Mm, it's almost that time. Take yeah, man, the Swig Podcast, man. Yeah, we gotta tune in. Man, let me grab this beer right quick, man. Yeah, let me get my drink ready. Yeah, yeah. Man, shoot, man. They be talking about all types of stuff on the man, the loggers, the man. There's some beers I ain't never even heard of on there. We about to learn about them, though. Yeah. Shoot. Yeah. Let's do this. What's up, world? It's your boy, the Beater Brother, back at it again with another episode of the Swig Podcast. And of course, by my side, I got my co-host. Shani Hadia, the marvelous gift. What up, people? How y'all living today? Oh, yeah. I hope you're living well. I hope damn well. <laughs> Gotta be. It's the American dream, isn't it? Yeah, you know, we are talking about the red, white, and brew today. Yeah, so let's yeah, let's talk about that. We we're talking about the vice president, uh, at least Democratic vice president uh, nominee, Kamala Harris. So she's breaking barriers, being the first African and African American and Asian woman to be vice president. Um, she did run for president. Unfortunately, things didn't work out. Funding, she unfortunately had to drop out. But um, it's still great to see her, at least as vice president. So a woman of pa- in power. Um, I'm just talking about that. Um, but um, before we get into that, uh, Shami, what you drinking? Well. On my round one beer, at least, I'm drinking, it, it was very fitting for this episode. We are America. This is by Good Word out of Atlanta, and they actually partnered with the Atlanta Beer Gang. Um, it's a, they have a podcast, and it's like a, a, a group in, a, a group of black beer drinkers in Atlanta. So, um, they have a little a little blurb on a can that I was reading just two seconds ago. I actually didn't finish. I was like, oh, I, I was ex- inspecting the can and it came across it. So let me read this and say, let us not be divided. We will continue to listen, learn and be empathetic as we progress. We cannot let the media or any organization define us, separate us and make us feel disconnected as a people. We are America. <laughs> well, like I was at the poetry slam for a second. Yeah, so they have a little bit of, um, on the can, it's like a, a collective of hands uh, of various shades and even, even some bandage. So I guess that I would imagine that that is for um, our handicapped individuals there, differently abled, if you will. Um, so yeah, oh. I'm about to, I, I'm gonna let you tell us what we're, what you're drinking and I'm gonna get this poured up. Oh yeah. I'm drinking a Nashville, uh, native, uh, fragment of merit. It's made by Southern Grist. It's a West coast ish IPA. Um, I'm probably assuming it's because it's made with cashmere hops as well as cascade and, uh, Nelson hops as well. So it's gonna, it's probably gonna taste a little light and I actually really love the name just because it kind of accidentally works with what we're talking about, is talking about the merit of Kamala Harris. So I think this is perfectly fitting. Um, so I'm about to crack this open. And this is probably perfect for being Labor Day and you at your barbecues. This is a good beer to have. This is probably going to be perfect at a backyard barbecue with uh, Maze and Frankie Beverly playing in the background um, while you're out here two-stepping. So um, let me take a test. Test you drive. Be doing that. You should. If you're doing that, it's only by yourself or with like six or less people because it's still a pandemic and we're still. I say that yes. shit. In group. That's true. Larger than six. I'm trying to do better. Right. Yes. People, we're still social distancing. Yeah. Not, this yeah. Um, this one is it's it's good. It's you know I I'm, I'm gonna be honest. It's nothing like super special. Mm-hmm. It's just a good IPA. Um, it has like a real good strong orange flavor with this. Mm, okay. Yeah, this one's pretty light as well. It's ve- it's really piney. So like I feel like it's more West Coast than something Chris is giving it credit for. Because it's like it's still really crisp, really clean. Yeah. And I just get like grapefruit and pine needles straight in just on my palate. So in a good way though. Yeah, so this is a double IPA. This is volume one. So a double IPA is definitely um I can see I can I can get a little bit of that uh that mouthfeel of a double mm-hmm. IPA. It has a, a little thicker uh viscous feeling to it in the mouth there. So Ooh, that's a key. good. This is gonna be this is gonna be a good conversation. 
it's gonna uh, we got some good beer flowing so um we're gonna we have also a good guest one of my sisters in the movement um so <laughs> urban league young professional sisters here um her official title Look, she start off with, I work in a political field. That that will probably be easier. Let me take a deep breath before I give the official title. The Regional Organizing Director of the South Carolina Coordinated Campaign for Jamie Harrison. She's passionate about Ooh. representation in politics and encouraging Black people, especially Black women, to run for office. So without further ado, Tamisha Grant. Hello, everyone. What Thank up? you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Ms. Shani <laughs> Kramer. Thank you so much. So, you know, I, I like to tell people, like, if we were sitting at the table today, she would be drinking this beer with us. She'd be able to, you know, expand her palate on the craft beer, you know, craft beer taste. But... It's a pandemic. And on top of that, she's in South Carolina. So that makes it even more <laughs> difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm in I'm there with you guys in spirit though. So I'm I'm loving to learn about the new ills that y'all got going on. Um we have a lot of breweries where I live in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, so that's definitely something that I can, you know, check out, see if they have it. And if not, I'm gonna tell them that they need to get it. <laughs> We, we might have something uh, for you to send us from those breweries. For so, sure, for sure. I got to remember the brewery. There's a style I want from a brewery out in Greenville. I got to look it up, though. Nice, <laughs> nice. No, Kramer, make a note and look it up. But he's going to be, what, what What? did you say? Because he's looking up. No, I'm about to, uh, yeah, I'm about to. Write yourself a note. Like, I want to yeah. say there's at least three in the city. Yeah. Um, one is in this abandoned area called uh, like Taylor's uh, behind like what used to be um, a mill. Um, and they turned it into a brewery. It's called 13 Stripes. And okay. they have really, really good uh, crafts there. So. Let me ask, is that, a, is that area being gentrified right now? Yes. <laughs> I, I meant no words about that. <laughs> of course. That's the top indicator. You see a brewery is like, up. Oh, it's the beginning. You get that second brewery though, it's over with. It's a, it's a wrap. Nope. There's nowhere to go from there. <laughs> White people have taken over officially. No, officially, it's now. official. It is law by then, you know. So, so we <laughs> can have a whole other podcast about about that right there. Uh, yeah, that's a whole. Yeah, that's a whole. Nother I'm very thing. passionate about that, especially in this area. Right, that podcast idea down. Gentrification with breweries. <laughs> right, right. Underline, underline. Ask me some point. So, Tamisha, how how did you get into politics, in, into the political field, as you call oh, it? Man. Why? That is that is a good question. So, um, around 2016, I just decided that I wanted to do more um, just local activism, getting involved. Um, I was formerly with the nonprofit sector. My, you know, education is in uh, human services and psychology, and you know, service to people, the service industry. Um, and I was trying to help people, and I couldn't, and it was making me angry. Mm -hmm. um, I would try to get um, a single parent services and they wouldn't qualify and it would be some arbitrary reason why. <clears throat> I would try to get students more aid. I would try to get like a single teenage mom, like, you know, like a grant or it's a scholarship. And it's just like all of this structural stuff that is a barrier to creating equitability in my community. Like, you know, and the more I saw that, the more I started getting involved. I would show up to the county council, city council meetings. I was trying to figure out, you know, like, are we going to expand Medicaid? Like, I want to advance this state because I feel like we are so behind. And so the more that I started going out there, the more obviously people saw like, oh, this lady cares. And then I started getting volunteered to do a lot of stuff. Obviously, I'm a part of the movement. The movement is very, very active in advocating for issues that affect brown and black people. Mm -hmm. You know, being the, um, the immediate past president of my chapter, I was very much trying to figure out how to create more equitable circumstances. So while I was doing that, um, I ran into 
um, a guy named Eli Valentin, who was uh, the political director for Kamala Harris in South Carolina. And he said, you know, Ooh. we think you would be great on our team. You know, I was a big fan of Kamala from the moment that I've like found out about her. And I was a big, you know, advocate for, you know, really, really, you know, rallying around her. So I was like, you know, sure, I'll throw my hat in the ring for that. That's fine. Um, I was, you know, up until that point, just doing local races or bringing attention to local races. Um, and got hired to to be a part of her South Carolina staff and uh, help them get as far as she did um, in South Carolina. And uh, unfortunately, you know, when that campaign ended, I decided to continue to do this work specifically focused on South Carolina and decided to support uh, Jamie Harrison, who's running for U.S. Senate for South Carolina. Okay, oh. he's going up. He's going up against some Lindsey Graham. Yeah, he's been in there forever. I want to say it's been at least two decades, if not three. Um, he has never had a contender this serious before. Okay, our um, we just raised ten million dollars last uh, quarter. Mm -hmm. Actually, last it was a month, not even the quarter, uh, which is insane. It broke all kinds of South Carolina records, and it just shows the momentum that we have around wanting to have better leadership in our state and in our country. So I'm very proud and honored to be a part of that team for sure. No, that that's cool, man. Uh, you know, most people um, have a some type of injustice that pushes them into wanting to help more, more people. Now, a, a lot of my experiences recently have been more of um, police brutality. Like even for me to want to get involved, it was Trayvon Martin that opened up my eyes and was like, whoa, you know, um, and from there it, it grew. So for yours to kind of come from the nonprofit sector and not being able to, you know, get women, whatever it is that they need and understanding the barriers be beyond that, that is, that is important. That's really um, something different as well. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree yeah. with that. I'm the same thing as uh, Shawnee. I'm like, everything kind of started for me with, um, Trayvon hmm. and in the action of like paying attention and understanding and then I'll probably say like me actioning and actually like doing something as much as I can really kind of started recently with like George Floyd like really me being out on the front lines hmm. and figuring out my lane that's that change absolutely like, for me I was always kind of just like I want to do something but like where do I start right Exactly. That's a lot of people's like feeling like, what do I do? How do I even start to enact change? Uh, that was for me that in my career, like, so I come, I'm from Brooklyn originally, BK, stand up all day. And my father, my father was so like militant. So I've always been aware of injustice and always been vocal about it, but never understood how those structural issues affect the, the, the issues that I was trying, you know, to change those, those things that need to be in place so that the thing that I'm protesting for, the thing that I want to change can actually be done. And so making that connection was something that happened, you know, obviously once Trump got elected. <laughs> yeah. I think they can in the high and into another gear, so to speak. Yeah, for now, sure. I will say, you know, we're we we're Facebook friends, and again, it was we're friends um, on Facebook, and we're sisters in the movement. We don't have a necessarily like personal relationship, mm -hmm. but I mean, you know, like some of your Facebook friends be closer than some of your real friends, so it ain't yeah. nothing to grow from there, right? But, <laughs> There's one thing that I can absolutely say that I see on your Facebook page is your passion for justice in general, right? Uh, you know, um, in equity and all of that good stuff. But Kamala, <laughs> so hard for and ride hard for my girl, bro. I thought you'd be able to pull some strings to get her on our. Uh... Episode. You know what? <laughs> so that's a funny thing. Uh, as I was thinking about this, I am a former staff member. And so a lot of what I'm saying is as a person who supports her and not someone who still represents her campaign or her campaign for vice president, I just got to make that very clear in case somebody has an issue with that. But I am a very proud member of the K-Hive. 
so at this point, yes, at this point, yeah, it's real out here. It is real out here. Like I was a supporter of Kamala before I became a staffer, um, just because I just thought she was brilliant. Yeah. Um, I saw the um, the Kavanaugh hearings, and then I saw her cross-examine Bill Barr, and I was like, that's just cold. Like, she just, she, you know, she didn't drop a sweat, blink an eye, miss a beat, and this was a huge, huge case, and it was yeah. very serious stuff that she was asking this man, and she never dropped at all, and I was very impressed with that, so it made me research her more. And then I realized she was running for president. And I was like, black woman running for president? Where do I sign up? Yes to it, you know? And then an interesting thing happened. She had this huge, out, you know, um, she, she announced on Martin Luther King Day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she was in San Francisco, but it was thousands upon thousands of people there. So much energy and so much excitement. And then the tide turned a bit. And then it was like, well, we don't really, uh, I'm not really sure about her. And I was like, okay, well, let me see why, you know? And the more I saw this, the angry I got, because a lot of it just wasn't true. And so I got more and more vocal. And that's when you could see on my Facebook page, I was like, I was hard in the paint, like 10 toes down. I was like, listen, I want y'all to understand what it is that's really going on here. This woman is absolutely amazing and we should all be supporting her. Um, and it really has never stopped since then. And, um, you know, I think that from where she landed, I think we can kind of see that, you know, the assessment of her being excellent was actually an accurate one. So fair enough. (laughs) I go hard though. (laughs) I try to let people know. I try to warn people on my page. Like, listen, if you don't really want to get into a whole discussion, because I I go, I go hard and I have receipts. So uh, you just you can abort and we can move on and be all in love. But if you stay, <laughs> you're going to get this truth for sure, for sure. Tamisha, you said something within, you know, your spill there of like black woman. And one of the things that are really going that is is going on, uh, like is the conversation of her being black or Indian or Black Indian, Black Asian, like whatever the title you want to put for her. Now, for myself, she Black, and I, that's not to, and I'm sorry, um, Asian folks, but like, when you see this woman, you see Black woman, she gets treated as Black woman, and so that's why mm-hmm. I typically just put the label of Black. Now, if she labels herself, I do understand and um, I accept it, and I'm not trying to disrespect her label, her um, living, a, you know, living as a, a, a Asian, a black, what is, what is, what yeah, she so she's South Asian American and Jamaican American, Jamaican. Yeah. So, so okay. it's, yeah. Jamaican she's and black. She's black. And, and, and if you were to talk to her there, she, she makes no qualms about being black. Um, you know, as a person who doesn't have um, like a dual identity from being biracial, I can't super speak to their experiences, but I do know that when people make the choice as a biracial person to immerse themselves in the black experience, you know, I I question their blackness being questioned, you know, because yeah. if they yeah. if they identify and they are black, they are, <laughs> but they're biracial. Um, I, I cram to see, like, we don't, we don't have that conversation about Holly Berry, you know, like we don't have that conversation, you know, about other biracial people in, in the public eye. Uh, but, you know, she seems to, to create a lot of ire and controversy around her identity. And I think that that's because of the, the amount of, of power that she's, she's going after. Um, so it, it's an easy, it's easy mark. And if you go back to like 2008, 2007, they did the same thing to Barack Obama. Um, it it was very much, you know, a lot of controversy around his identity, even though he lives in this, um, this world as a black man. And that's not up for question from anybody at this point, but at the point when he first started running, it was definitely a point of conversation constantly. South Asians are having the same conversation of like claiming her by all means, claim her. Like, listen, (laughs) it ain't nothing but a claim. 
yeah, yeah. And like to to the point of your your can at the beginning, you know, that we're all kind of in this together. I think it it can be a unifying thing, um, you know, to to have a lot of people feel pride around her VP nomination and see themselves reflected back. I think that's a really amazing part of her story is that she does speak to so many people's lived experiences, you know? And, yeah. um, but, you know, sister's black. <laughs> if you ask Kamala, is she black? She's going to tell you that she's black. And she doesn't understand what the controversy around it is. It's very interesting for sure. It just, it just, I think it plays into our, um, our issues with our own, you know, just the complexion and, you know, everything like black people, we range on so many color spectrums, bro. Like you could have somebody sitting here and you would damn near think they white and be like, no, both of my parents are black. (laughs) My grandmother was white though. You know what I'm saying? We one step away, but It, it definitely can get, you know, it gets, because people want to, I do think, because I think identity politics, and that's probably something we're going to talk about a little later, but like, I think identity politics still needs to have a, a place in the conversation that we're not past that, that people want to see themselves reflected in their leaders. And so it is a fair assessment to, to know that we're kind of going to ruminate on some of us issues that are just us. You know, things like complexion and skin color and, you know, hair texture and, you know, things like that. And does that make you less black or more black? And, you know, how do you identify your blackness? That That is a very insular to African diaspora issue, um, but it's now on the main stage, right? So now everybody can kind of have a, a say-so and, and have an opinion and we still trying to figure out how we feel about it. And so I think that she kind of brought that up to the forefront as well. So, but I, I, I'm so, so proud of the system for so many reasons, but you know, yeah, for sure. It, it, it has been a topic of conversation that I've had to have with people who are interested in learning more about it. Definitely like a um, topic of conversation I've noticed more recently now that she's become vice president when she was like running for president here in the news and the other way, you don't really hear her identity so it's just like brings back to like people pick and choose what they want to nitpick at because like if she didn't do this no one would no one said nobody cared we love sis the urban loved her for a really long time until she ran for president it was very interesting i was um listening to some talk radio oh i think i, I it might have yeah it was some talk radio Mm-hmm. on Urban View on Sirius XM. I'd like to shout them out just because I really love that station. Um, and they were just talking about, they were they were doing research to see why Kamala lost and who was putting out this misinformation. Because, you know, our, our America is easily hacked, I'll say. And you don't really have to tap into our bank accounts you don't. You just have to put something out there that um, some piece of information or misinformation to get one area riled up, and it takes off from there. So you might have some Russian bot sitting in the back, <laughs> right, banging away at the Absolutely. keys, and then this information goes out here, and then America is in a goddamn tizzy. Uh, over a, so, something that has come across. So they want to do their research to see where that information came from. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it's so frustrating. So, yeah, that was the biggest thing for me was the misinformation because that was one of the reasons why I was like, oh, she definitely is a threat because nobody works this hard against someone who's not a threat, you know? Um, so uh, one of the research, uh, you know, that was done during her, the cycle of the primary is of all of the primary candidates, um, Kamala Harris had the least mentions on Twitter and she had the most negative misinformation. Hmm. Higher than Joe Biden, higher than Elizabeth Warren, higher than um, Bernie Sanders. And we started to look into it and a lot of it was Russian bots. A lot of it was, was, you know, these shell 
uh, profiles that pop out of nowhere and they repeat the same misinformation. You know, Kamala is a cop. Kamala locked up a bunch of black men before for petty uh, marijuana charges and then smoked marijuana and laughed. Just and it was like this. It was a level of bombardment that was unprecedented. I've never seen anything like that. Anytime you mention the word Kamala, even right now, but it's less now. But like anytime you mention the word Kamala Harris, you immediately got all of this negative, like within 10 to 15 minutes. Um, mm. And it was really hard to, to figure out who's a real person because the more you engage, the, the higher the interest rate is, right? Like the interaction rate. So more people yeah, see yeah. it because you're talking to this person. And you're not really talking to a person. And if 2016 taught us anything is that, you know, inter interrupting our elections is a real thing for foreign, you know, foreign entities that want and have their own agenda. Yep. And Kamala was a very big target of that. Like it was, it was very like black and white. I saw it from my own, in my own eyes. Like you could see the mentions and it was like, thousands upon thousands of mentions where it was something negative. And then we did the research and to see if these are real, like real accounts and they weren't. They, they, they know that if a black person is running, they're liable to become president because if that misinformation doesn't come out, especially in the way that they, they bombard people with it. But if that if misinformation didn't exist, then that person will be uh, elected I, and good, bad, or indifferent off the strength of being black. <laughs> right. And we, it wouldn't have been a fight. There are, there are political uh, uh, professionals much more well-versed than I who had tapped her as the, pre the next president when they found out that she was thinking about running somewhere in like the early, like, like 2015 almost um there was a, articles coming out like she's the next person she's the person the next it person and because of the upset around hillary clinton's loss um and all the controversy around whether she actually lost or whether there was cheating going on you know we knew that we were ready for a woman to be president and a lot of that momentum was then thwarted by this, you know, misinformation campaign, in my opinion. Uh, that was a big hurdle to, to, to climb uh, during her campaign. I, I'll definitely admit that. Misinformation really fucked up a good situation. And oh, it's very frustrating when somebody has the, I mean, you have somebody in office that has no credentials, but you have this other person who who checks the boxes and and didn't get anywhere yeah i mean it's still i want people to really um to understand that even in this like world where we're celebrated black girl magic and we really are you know in a different era in terms of celebrating ourselves that when we pursue power that it's still extremely difficult and it's still extremely controversial for black women to acquire a level of power. And so people kind of didn't realize that like, no, 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 this is still going to be really difficult for her, even though she checks all the boxes because she's black and she's a woman. And that is going to be the focal point, even though she's extremely qualified, if not overqualified, uh, to, to run this country better than the person that we have sitting in the White House currently. Um, it was it was very eye-opening to see people like, you know, this or that, you know, issues with her. But the one thing that I really needed people to do is be a little bit more discerning and aggressive about how they do their research because Facebook, Instagram, Twitter is just not the place where you need to get your political news. It can be a great resource, but it, 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 there are other things that you need to do other than kind of reading those headlines because they can be misleading. Think through everything and actually like do the critical thinking rather than just take everything at face value. You learn this for a reason. You're not just being told this in school, told this by family. You're told this to use this, not just picking. It can't be a pick and choose. 
you gotta give that same energy to everything because especially just like I see it on so like the evils of social media. You talk about her when she's being the DA and all the policies she followed through. Is that just a matter of just um, her working within the system that's been created to Yeah, so a lot of it <sighs> A lot of the decisions that people Wait, can I just take a moment? Wait, your deep breath. You already because, yeah, yeah, that's why I stopped my so, question. I was like, oh, she about to go in. In the state of California, she was one of the first and only people championing gay and lesbian people having the right to marry. She was one of the very first senators to marry anyone. Like you can look it up. Like nobody was pushing for gay rights when she was. It wasn't cute. It wasn't the hot thing to do on the streets. It was not popular. This is like, I want to say early 2000s. I want to say as early as like 2005, six, something like that. Mm-hmm. Like she was on the front lines championing LGBTQ rights. And when, again, it was one of those cherry pick things that I'm going to misconstrue her record and I'm going to misconstrue this situation. And the the couple of issues that I've heard can be rectified because people don't know what a DA does and people don't also know how much culpability that she actually had to change things. And to the point in power that she did have to change things, she did. And to the point that she couldn't within that infrastructure, she could not. A lot of the power that she got to change things didn't happen until she became the senator, the U.S. senator, Mm -hmm. and not a DA. DAs do not have the power to change how police, like, they, she, she called for body cameras, she called for accountability, she's always done so. She lowered the rate of, you know, petty uh, marijuana possession. All of that went down under her tenure as DA. All of that stuff went down. Um, she had the back on track program, which basically gave first time offenders, um, a a way to expunge their record and get, um, support and education so that they could go on with their lives. These are things that she did during her tenure as DA. However, as much as she could do, I could, I could pull up, there was an article that was done in the early 2000s that basically called her a social worker was like, that's not what your job is. Your job is not to help criminals. Your job is to put them into jail. That is what we pay you to do. And so the criticism was very like, you're soft on crime. You don't, you know, you're not doing what we expect you to do. And when it came to that particular issue with the LGBTQ uh, person who was misgendered and put into a prison that they were not supposed to be in, that issue was not Kamala's call, which it, I know really is confusing and it would take a lot longer than we have today to explain that, but it's, it wasn't directly her call. And to the best of her ability, she tried to make sure that it didn't happen. So when it comes to those things, I want people to really understand that when you hear a very cherry picked thing about someone and then you go to find more research and you either can't find it or it doesn't sound anything like what was told to you, you need to question the origination and the intent of that thing. There's so much shit that we need to question. It's horrifying, really, like, because you go on, like, when we first, you know, we're all millennials, I'm assuming, and so we were here at the, like, beginning of the internet, right, so when you, like, look something up, and you got an answer, you assume that that answer is the truth, you know, if you got an article, if you saw something online, you didn't have to question whether or not it was true, and now you really have to question a lot of the time, you know, I see people, and I've been doing it, you know, I've, had the chance of the times that I've re-shared an article that was wrong or really inaccurate or old and did not realize that that information was not correct because, you know, you're trusting that if it's presented to the public, then it must be true. I'm super glad you said that because it actually um, brings up like my thought about that as well. Um, so it's really interesting to hear that like, you got the same sentiments as me because it's just like people will only take things at face value and that like burns me up when I see it on social media. I'm like, no, her role was to do 
what she was supposed to do as a district attorney, you prosecute. Yeah. Her job is to put people in jail within the realm of rules she has offered to her. And people will turn around and be like, if she didn't prosecute or lost every case she was involved with, she's like, she can't do her job as a DA. She ain't put nobody in jail. have been reelected. That's that's the big thing. Um, she would not, if people understand, and I think for those of us who have done leadership and been in those rooms, you do know that you have to give a little to get a little. Yep. And if you are the first African-American person in the room, if you're the first woman in the room, um, if you push too hard, they'll just push you out of the room. And then you have no power to make decisions. So the way that she was able to save multiple black and brown children from going to jail for long periods of time for petty marijuana. She gave them a second chance because she was in the room to make that decision. Whereas if there was someone else in that room, they probably wouldn't have created and said that was a waste of money. And they're not going to allocate funds within the district attorney's office to create, you know, programs for, you know, to, to, to recidivize citizens. That's not what especially back then. Like, I think that in this realm of today, we think that everybody was always so progressive and that's just not the case. (laughs) There was a lot of people, including black people who were not about the progressive thoughts that we have today. And, you know, I have looked at her record and it was, it was progressive even then, but it's even more progressive now. Um, And so that was one of the biggest things is like, do you know what a district attorney does? Do you have an understanding of what that role looks like? And also, do you understand the benefit of having someone, a person of color, who cares about people in that role? There are things that she did, like she took on big banks that were taking advantage of small Black businesses, Black churches, people in in communities that were disenfranchised. And they were predatorily lending to these people and then foreclosing on all those houses and taking all that property. And she represented the people, which were the people that were being taken advantage of against this big bank. And she won. And those people are able to do, you know, to get some sort of settlement so they can recreate their lives. She got rid of the backlog for rape kids in, in California. That's huge. If you're a victim of sexual assault, you know, like that's something you actually want to happen, right? Like you don't want your 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 sexual assault case to go cold because nobody cares about, you know, clearing the backlog. I'm not clearing the backlog. That yeah, that's really um that is something in itself, but people aren't gonna see it like that. So even mm-hmm. with I I think a lot of it. And I, and you know what, you know what, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say this thought. Let me pour up another beer. I was gonna suggest that. I was like, you sitting here holding this can. I need you yeah. to go ahead. I was like, pour in this can. <laughs> the next one I have, I don't know. You ready, Kramer? Because I'm ready. It is. Yeah, I'm gonna pull mine out right now. It is the Orange Cream Sickle Shake IPA. And it's by Westbrook Brewing. Um, they are located in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Oh, South Carolina represent. How, how far is that from you? Mount Pleasant is probably about an hour and a half. It's going t- towards the North Carolina line. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's unpasteurized, non-homogenized. Hom- I think that word. <laughs> no. I was like homo- no, that's not. It's not homogenized. It's straight. No homo. Um, <laughs> India Pale Ale brew with orange, vanilla, and milk sugar. <laughs> and so, you tell us who's drinking. I'm gonna pour up the cup, and then I'm gonna talk about this little beer before we get back into uh, into Kamala Harris. Yes, I'm actually drink. I'm going completely local again. Got the Jackalope Brewing Brew uh, Walker. They have a traditional beer called the Bear Walker, which is just an ale with um, maple syrup. Oh, and this one, they still have the maple syrup, and their original is still really good. This one is made with maple syrup and coffee. So it has a little bit of a coffee finish. I taste it more in the finish once you finish like taking that sip and in the aroma of it. Um, and they usually have like a little like poem or passage. 
So it says, let's have a talk about the bears and the beans start with Bear Walker. The stuff on Beer Dreams add in a buzz. A splash of cold brew is maple brown plus coffee. Woohoo. Um, brew Walker is here to is here. Two favorites combined. A clap of awesome and a small batch of sublime. So it's just kind of like a little rendition of describing what the beer is about. And so I'm about to crack this open and see what they're talking about. Interesting, y'all both have flavors. I think that, like, you know, it's it's more of a newer concept of beer having different flavors. Okay, I'm, I'm waiting for the reaction from you both. <laughs> okay. Okay, so let me just tell y'all. I have never in my life liked creamsicle. It, you know, people used to love the little uh, Flintstones push pops. Never did. I used to hate them. I think my little brother enjoyed them or something. I would, I would be so mad. I love the Flintstone push up pops. With the ice cream and the orange around there. Never cared for those either. Every so often, I'd, I'd eat one and just be reminded. Like, I like the vanilla ice cream of it, but I was just reminded that I don't care for it. This beer brings me back to those times. <laughs> it, is not, not, it is not my not thing. for you. Now, oh, no. I've had good Westbrook, Westbrook beers. So I'm going to, you know, hang my hat on. Like, they did a good job on this, but it is not mine. This is not for me. And I'll push through because it's not a drain pour. It's just not my thing. And I'm just going to, you know, power through it. And that's okay. I'm definitely getting creamsicle on that finish. The front end is just almost like an orange IPA, but that lactose comes through with that vanilla on the back end, and I get yeah, that that's where. Oh, there it is. (laughs) And then I swallowed and was like, "Mm." he was like, "Oh, I feel it." No, yeah, childhood right there that I don't want to (laughs) remember. Yeah. (laughs) Oh no, no. (laughs) Yeah, but this brew rocker is. Actually, really good. Um, I, I had a feeling that would probably taste good. Um, coffee, coffee, and beer. That those are some some complimentary flavors. Especially if it's like a stout. This is kind of yeah. new. This is an yeah. ale. Yeah, I get away with, but it's just interesting that people are venturing outside of like the coffee stouts or coffee coffee. Um, mm. or I don't know what that accent was when I tried to say coffee. Um, <laughs> coffee. Um, is so, that right? <laughs> So that's just really fun, but um, just kind of wanted to jump back into Kamala. We're kind of just talking about representing Black people. Like, how does she balance that in this campaign up until Election Day where it doesn't seem like she's trying too hard to, like, remind people that she's Black? And just, like, for being a woman as well, like, how does she ride that? I think that for me as a black woman, um, I, it, my requirement of her is to just be herself. I know that sounds really corny and cliche, but I think her presence and where she is and what she's trying to get accomplished um, pushes the needle for all of us. Uh, I think she just gave an interview today um, on the campus of Howard University you know, she she's taking photos by her, you know, her AKA tree on the yard. All of that is a true part of her personality and a true part of her lived experience. So just sharing that with the world is a way to have us show up in spaces that we probably would not have been considered before. So I think that in that way, she she truly is, you know, giving space and representation to so many people who did not possibly feel seen on a national stage. Um, we have our culture, it's ours, you know, it's personal, you know, and there are things that we, we didn't really feel the need to share with everyone else, but we also may not have had the, the platform to share with everyone else. And, you know, her being the vice presidential nominee uh, gives us that platform. And I think that in that way, she, she continues to kind of rise to the occasion of, of being her true authentic self. Hmm. Okay. I, like, I, like. I, I feel like, and this is kind of what I was going to, is, is a play on what I was uh, saying before. Like, I feel that when we have a black person that is going to run, the expectations are hella high. We do not critique 
these white people in the same fashion. And I will say the two white people that have probably got uh, have gotten critiqued the most, um, and and not necessarily wrongfully, um, but it's not. I don't think it's done correctly. Kind of like that research that you talk about, and that is Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden. Yeah, they we do a, we do a good job of calling them to the carpet, but are we really analyzing what is going on? You know what I'm saying? We have Kamala who was a DA. She did her job, the what you're hired to do, and she made she she made changes or um, affected change to the best of her ability in her role. But all of that is discounted at the end of the day because of this one post that went into real detail on this one piece of a larger puzzle. Yeah. So yeah, when you take that puzzle and you isolate that one piece. Yeah, that shit seems big, but when you plug it into the greater thing, the, the greater picture, it becomes a small part of a bigger picture and almost insignificant. Um, anybody who's lived in this country and knows any history of this country knows that and Kamala Harris is some kind of anomaly to an extent. Uh, California is one of the largest states in the entire, uni- the entire United States, and she is the U.S. Senator of that state. Um, And before that, she was able to uh, beat 10, 15 year incumbents to become the DA as this, you know, black girl from Oakland. Every time that she pushed the door open, those structural barriers that exist for black and brown folks didn't magically disappear because now Kamala is there, you know, and she has to fight within the same system that we all have to fight. And so, when when we see her her rise and her like work, we have to see it for the success that it is that she was even able to be in that space and make those decisions because normally those women and especially black women are just not allowed in the room. It's a boys club. Her incumbent was a man for both DA and the US Senate. Like she has occupied spaces that nobody ever has occupied that looks like her or has her lived experiences. Um, and so when when I say like, look at like the big picture, I really want people to just understand how amazing it is that she's able to be where she is at all. We're not that far removed from Jim Crow. The things that we're living through right now as black people is, shows how much work we have to do. So the progress that was made still needs to stand on its face and and really, like you were saying, see the big picture, for sure. I'm going to be honest. I have, um, I was a Stacey Abrams fan. I wanted her to be VP on, on you know. Um, I know that she's doing greater work and she has much more to do in Georgia. And I think um, her focus is best, reflected there so I understand that when you know I take a step back and really look at the issues um but I also think that I was hesitant I became hesitant Mm -hmm. about having a black woman in any position in power right after Donald Trump and um because I know we are going to have a clusterfuck (laughs) of things to to fix right um, we have, the, I, it, it, it has just been known for black women to come in and fix things, especially on the, in the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Come in and, and come black women and vote. Save us in Alabama from, you know, Roy Jones. Like, was it Roy Jones? Is that the boxer, Roy? Jones, yeah. It was like, yeah. he had to fight with Mike Tyson. He's got a whole different story. Wait, what was it, Roy? What was his name in Alabama? Oh, I know you're talking about. I can't think of his name, though. I didn't follow that particular race, so I do not know who that is. But I I know what you were talking about, and I definitely agree, because it happened in Alabama, in Georgia, in South Carolina, in Tennessee. There's always a Save Us Black Women narrative. Roy Moore. Roy Moore <laughs> and Doug Jones. That's why I combined them. There we go. <laughs> hey, yeah, uh, Roy Jones got a whole different beast name, not Mike Tyson. He got worried. Yeah, about. you know, black women come in and we save the fucking day. Yeah, 
I don't want that pressure because even coming in under Biden, Biden is not saving the day. Kamala is saving Biden. Everybody is, feels more comfortable with Biden. We knew that we needed a strong VP choice because on as the, uh, the presidential level, we knew that that was fairly weak. And I say in a sense of um, his history with, you know, people's feelings on his history, his age. He has a number of things working against him. And a strong VP choice comes in and like, uh, it's like, oh, look, we got somebody who can feel. It bolsters it. It definitely, it makes it a more, you know, listen, he, he's raised over, I want to say like $200 million since Kamala has joined him on VP. And that was last month. Yeah. Um, so it shows that there's a, a great amount of support for her as the vice president. I almost, I argue that that, if she had not dropped out, we'd have saw in the poll, like that, you know, actually in the ballot box, that there was a lot more support for her than was being speculated by the media, right? Uh, because the media made it sound like she was a non-starter, but you can't be a non-starter and then raise a hundred like $48 million in 48 hours. You know what I mean? Like yeah. she, she always had that, that power as a candidate, I think that, you know, racism and sexism just did a really hard number on her campaign. Um, is to address your cleanup woman thing, the one thing I will say is that anybody, I mean, Obama had to do it with, uh, with Bush. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, and I'm very, I'm team Democrat, so that's just always gonna be my thing. Democratic uh, presidents always have to clean up after re Republican mess. That's yeah. really yeah. just been the, the pattern of, like for the last, I don't know how many cycles. Um, I think that she's like more than equipped to to aid Joe Biden in those the, that cleanup. But I also like it only if we're not getting recognition. And that was something that I was really vocal about when she was the v, when she was being considered for VP before she was chosen and during her primary run is that we've always been expected to do the work. We've always been expected to be the mules. We've always been the backbone. Uh, we've always worked behind the shadows, even in the civil rights movement. Women were not given that front uh, 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 positioning. And what I will say about Kamala Harris being the vice presidential nominee of the United States of America is that in that sense, she is, taking she is occupying a space that is more about her power than it is about her just doing work. Because I do think that we have done that, right? And we continue to do that. We show up to the polls. We Black women are the most consistent voting bloc in the entire country. We always show up, but we're never given the position to be in power. We are always told, you know, given a pat on our heads and, a, you know, thank you so very much for all your hard work. And then we're mm -hmm. sent on our way. And then someone white or less qualified is able to occupy that space that we gave them, that we made room for. And I think that I want us to normalize reaching for that power. Like, no, you're going to give me minds now. You're going to give me minds today. You're going to put me in a position of decision-making power right now not 10 years from now, not five years from now, not a thank you so much for your service, which I have had white people come up to me and thank me for being a black woman and being a consistent voter. I don't need your thanks. I need your support when I want to run for office. I need your dollars. I need you to make room and space for me. Like, no, the black woman needs to be at the table. In actuality, the black woman should be the one making the decisions because she's the one who's figured it out. So I giving more space to for us to occupy that power and getting more comfortable in it getting comfortable demanding that power up front as black women just kind of follow up on that statement um i just kind of wanted to know like how do we as voters and even commas team kind of deal with this like trope of angry black woman when it comes to her debates her statements and actions like that come off like hey you don't need to do this how do we make sure her message is properly heard instead of like oh here she goes she's just being a black woman angry again mm -hmm. oh, all right hey let's listen to what she got to say rather than like oh she's she mean business 
and we need to make sure we're doing our part. How do we keep that message on the forefront? Speak positively and defend with the facts. That's what I say. Everybody's going to have an opinion, but I think that if we collectively support her and get behind her and have positive energy around her, then the, that'll die down after a while. If people know that there's nothing to bite on, because if they think that there's going to be some kind of negative interaction, then they'll keep on. But if they know that she gets none over here when it comes to talking about Kamala Harris, then they'll move on. So, you know, speak positively and come with facts is, is my biggest thing for as we're heading towards November. Okay. I, just, I have, and, and that's real. Like, come with the facts and, 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 and don't entertain the bullshit at the end of the day. That's really what it boils down to. <laughs> um, I, I have a question because you said something about, you know, give me the, the platform, give me the position, give me the power right now, right? Do you feel that the um, the VP position is more of like a concession? She ran for president and it was like, okay, well, I couldn't get that. So I'm going to take this. I think it's all in how you look at it, right? Yeah. Has a black woman ever had that position of power, no matter how decorated it may feel? No, we've never had that. And I think that Joe, Joe can speak specifically to how vice presidents can definitely have an influence and definitely have an impact and definitely influence, you know, the decision-making of the president, especially if they work together and they have a good working relationship, that, that vice president can be extremely significant uh, to the administration. Um, so I think that, you know, maybe kind of changing the way we look at it because it's still a huge, huge, huge deal. It really is. Um, and I, I, I don't consider it a consolation prize, but I can see how people can look at it that way. I consider it um, an amazing um, glass ceiling shattered for black and brown women. And, you know, it makes it that much easier for black women to become president. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't want to put it as a concession, but I think it is. Um, I want to I want people to feel comfortable to know that black women can lead this fucking country. Like, yeah, we we can be a support role. We have been a support role that exists, but we are leaders. And if you step aside and let us do that, we're going to rock your fucking world. <laughs> and we can bring this country. I think she can bring this country together. I think it can be done. Um, there are going to be a few outliers, but there isn't any situation. Uh, but this, this country needs some healing. I want to thank you for joining us on this episode. Yes. My pleasure. Thank you so much. I do want to give you, you have a last thought. You have a last um, thought for the people to take away. Um, my last thought would be that, you know, being someone who was in very close proximity to her and being someone who is a huge champion for Black women in positions of power politically, I just want people to take a minute to really, especially black women, to really appreciate what we can do and what is possible. And don't ever let anyone tell you that you can't do it because, you know, she is living proof that you can. Um, and, you know, for us as a collective, the black collective to, you know, support those that you see going after and pursuing these things because it's not easy um, and they're doing it for all of us. So, um, you know, continue to and, and begin to start the support of the, the black and brown people you see fighting for us in all different capacities in your community. That's my last thought. Now that's a, that's a good thought to leave with. And one thing is I can, I will, um, I will second that, that black women can do anything. One thing I can't do is drink this beer again. I was going to ask you. <laughs> Me. I'm gonna thug through this one. I'm gonna okay, make it through it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so we want to thank everybody for joining us on the podcast. Um, Tamisha, do you have somewhere where people can follow you? You want to? Um, you can follow me at Tamisha Grant on Twitter and at Tamisha Grant at on uh, Facebook and uh, Grant TTD on Instagram. So, yeah. And for The Swig, you can find us at The Swig Podcast on IG, The Swig Podcast on really all your social media platforms. And um, you can listen to our podcast 
on your favorite podcast app. And if you don't find it, let us know so we can make sure we get there. Yes, because we're here for you. Yeah. Kramer, yeah. tell them where you can where they can find you. You can see me at uh the Bearded Brother on Instagram, uh, and Kramer Deans on uh Facebook. Keep up with my shenanigans and beer stuff. Yeah, my Facebook is for me and mine. Um, so you can sit in purgatory if you do locate me on Facebook. But unless you know, there's a thing. But you can find me at the Black Beer Experience on IG or Facebook. And again, thank y'all for joining in on the swig. Tamisha, it was great having you. Y'all drink, drink up, be easy. Peace. Put your glass to the swig podcast and keep toasting.